This was the time of year that when I was growing up, we would have an annual burn of the field. And in that annual burning of the field, there were, my home um, was a part of my grandfather's farm. So we had a smaller farm off of his larger farms. And then I had cousins on each side of my grandfather who they had a farm as well. And so you can imagine it was a large farm but with different families involved. And this time of year we would have an annual burning of the field to burn all the, the dry brush and the dead grasses in order to, to just make room for the spring grass to come. And we would go to the, the woods that were bordered on these fields and we would cut off a pine top. We would find a small tri- tree and it would be like a, a broom. And so we, could, we would start the fire all together and it looked like a big fire line as it would burn across not one but all of those pastures and those fields which could have a little different shape. And if it were to, to get out of control, we had our pine bough that we could tamp it out. Now remember, I told you, there's a way that things work. We could tell if there were, let's say that there was a pile of logs. Maybe someone had cut firewood and left it in one of those fields. When that fire came up to that that dry kindling or those, those dry logs, it would stop in the fire line right there until it had burned the logs. And everybody else's fire line would continue to go, but that may never make it past or around to the other side, those logs. Those logs were an obstacle to the fire. And I learned that that's how things work when you have a fire line. Do you know how prayer works? There is a way that prayer works. Consequentially, There is a way that prayer doesn't work. And we have said in this series that this series and focus in January and the first Sunday in February is on prayer. But not so much why we should pray, but how to pray. And we've been trying to incorporate various ways to humbly pray at the end of the message. And so my, the goal in each of these messages is to be much more direct and to try to get us as quickly as possible so that we can pray as a congregation. So that we can take a few minutes as a part of the message at the end to actually pray in light of what we've been learning again about how to pray. In other words, you learn best how to pray by praying. Right? So we're going to pray. But in praying, there's a way that things work. There's a way that prayers work. And if your prayers, if you have repeatedly been experiencing unanswered prayer, there's an obstacle there. Do you know what it is? And this morning, I want to look at one of the greatest obstacles to unanswered prayer is an unforgiving heart or every time I typed it in 
to my message, I typed in the word unforgiveness. And I don't get, I guess that's not a word, but it always tried to correct unforgiveness. But God wants to correct unforgiveness. There's three people or groups that need forgiveness. If you want to experience again, I promise you, you've got something right now that you're praying about, something big. If you want an answer to that, you better make sure that you got the logs of unforgiveness out of the way or your prayers are going to be blocked. I promise you. But remove those logs, you're going to experience a breakthrough and an answer. Forgive me. Forgive, and it, you'll see it on your outline, it's blank. There is someone in, that you're in relationship with right now that needs your forgiveness. And you might have already forgiven them, but you really kind of still held them in the debtor's prison of your heart. And every once in a while you trot them out of jail and you'll kind of whack on them a little bit and torture them. And then you'll put them back in jail. But if somebody says, how are you and so-and-so doing? Oh, I've forgiven them. I've forgiven them. We just don't have any relationship anymore. I just avoid them. You've not really forgiven them. And then, forgive them. And the them are, you could say, our enemies, are people that are, 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 are forgive people just that offend us. Every day we're assaulted. Every day we're offended. Every day we're hurt by people that we're either in relationship or outside of relationship with. And God says, forgive them also. Forgive them their offenses to you and their transgressions. So that's where we're going. Let's, um, but I just want to encourage you to note that there is a, there's a way that things work. Let's look at our scripture this morning. And I'm reading from John chapter 17, verses 10 through 13. All mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now... I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Uh, this morning, the, the key verse that I want to look at is the second part of verse 11, that they may be one even as we are one. Now, Next week, the focus is going to be on how God sanctifies us. How we do not sanctify ourselves, but God, through Christ's prayers for us, Christ is still interceding and praying and sanctifying us, setting us apart, transforming our lives. Then the following week, we're going to focus on our unity as a people, and particularly our unity at two rivers and the unity that Christ prays for 
But this morning, in his, notice that Jesus is praying. And the disciples over here, or they were a part of this prayer meeting in the upper room prior to his going to the garden. And Jesus begins to pray that they be united and in union and there be no obstacles to their fellowship just like he and the Father enjoy. That leads me to make this observation that Jesus is praying for us to enjoy the same unity that he enjoys. Do you? This, this unity that he prays for, he expects an answer. Jesus does not have unanswered prayer. So, Jesus is praying, and as he's praying for unity, it shouldn't strike us as an unusual thing, because this union with Christ has always been the plan. It's always been the plan. From the, the, the fall in the garden, when the, the unifying walk of God with Adam and Eve in the garden was disrupted and broken, from that moment on, God set into motion His plan for a reunion, a new union with His people, an intimacy that is inseparable. And so Jesus Christ is looking at this, he's, he's thinking, he's just a short time away from being crucified, dead, and buried. He's soon to leave this world. And even now, he uses the language of verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. It's as if he's saying, I am so committed that this world has nothing left for me. I'm already one foot out of this world, one foot in your world. And I don't want to be there alone. I don't want to be there without them. And Father, I know you're going to answer this prayer because it's a part of your plan. He prays for that unity. Now remember, at this point it says in verse 12 that the only one lost out of the 12 disciples is the one destined for destruction, Judas. And so he's saying, I'm not praying for the one who abandoned all who did not want unity, who, had, uh, who did not want union with us. I'm not praying for him, but I'm praying for those that are bound, have bound themselves to me that we will be together in spirit now, now and forever. He's praying for unity. And so I just, I, I just want you to know, you may think that I'm beating a dead horse here with this observation, but my question is, if we observe Jesus in his prayer, I mean, this is, I mean, it's, a, it's 26 verses. There's a lot, I would think, that, I would pray. If it was my last prayer on earth, um, I, I don't, you know, would you be praying about unity um, with one another? But he's, he's praying about it because it's serious with him. It's desirable. He wants it. And he expects an answer. 
Do we take the unity of our own fellowship and our unity with one another as sisters and brothers so seriously? In other words, is there a sister or brother in Christ who is a disciple that you're not in unity with? You're not in harmony with? Jesus Christ, what would he say? He would say, well, pray about it. Pray for it. And then as we're going to see in application in just a moment, get after it. Answer that prayer. Go after it. Because I, Christ, your Savior and Lord, I'm praying for that very thing as well. And I desire it. Second observation. Jesus gives, keeps, and guards us in the Father's name. Um, In Luke uh, 22, verse 32, and I won't turn there uh, right now, but in Luke 22, 32 is where we see Peter and Jesus having a conversation. And Jesus tells him, listen, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, "What? no, no, I, man, you are so united and we're so intimate. I mean, I'll die for you. He said, no, no, you're going to deny me. But I have prayed for you. And when you come back, strengthen the brethren. He said, you're going to deny me, but even that is not going to cause me to deny you. I am praying for you, and I have prayed for you, and I have confidence that you're still going to come back and you're going to strengthen the brethren. Jesus Christ, we're told in Hebrews 7 verse 25, bears the name of the great intercessor. And it it shouldn't come as a surprise, we're told, that he ever lives to intercede in Hebrews uh, 7.25. But that's also found in Isaiah 53 as a mark of what Jesus Christ is going to do. In Isaiah 53, verse 12, the latter portion says... He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. So he makes intercession. He prays for the very sinners who are sinning against him. I I look at those passages And I think again, look at what he's doing in order to preserve unity. He's saying, I'm not going to, I want you under this great umbrella of God's name, which we saw last week. Oh, I mean, there's so over 85 names in the Old Testament alone for God, and every one of those names is a descriptor of his character. And so when he's. When he's saying, in your name, in your name, in your name. Let's say, uh, Jehovah said canoe, Jehovah my righteousness. He has become my righteousness. In place of my unrighteousness, God has granted me righteousness. He's become my righteousness. So God is my righteousness. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give that to them. I'm going to keep them in righteousness. I'm going I'm to sanctify them. I'm going to preserve them. And I'm going to guard them in righteousness. And all those things he's doing in intercession. And that has, and he's doing that not just for the Peters, 
And he's not just doing it for those that sin against him, the transgressors. But he's doing it for us all, and he's still doing it. His prayers are still giving us and preserving us and guarding us. Now, application. An application is simply this. Will we join him? Will we join Jesus in praying for one another? And in order to do so, we need to make sure that we remove any obstacles as we pray for one another. And one of those obstacles is going to be forgiveness. Unity, application number one, unity is not natural. I too must pray for it. We're so self-focused. We're so easily offended. We want to be in control of our own agendas that the call to humble ourselves and to love and to serve one another finds us more often not heeding that call but taking offense or dismissing people or manipulating people. And Christ prayed for all of those things that would divide us to be removed, that we would be united. And that we would pray, even as Jesus prayed to God the Father, that living under this great name, we live under the name of God, the name of the Father, as Christian, one of Christ, that we would look to Christ as the great intercessor and we would say, as he prays, I am going to pray for it. And again, I know, I'm coming off, and some of you guys, Bill, quit writing this point. Quit being a, it's sounding like you're scolding us or you're nagging. Just catch with me, catch with me a glimpse. What would happen if we forgive others to the degree that we're forgiven? Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, we see Jesus Christ in verse 15, saying this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Jesus Christ elsewhere says, When you come into worship on Sunday morning, and I'm paraphrasing it to apply it to today, but if you come in to Sunday morning at Two Rivers to worship, and as you are singing, and as you, as you, are, you hear the, the prayers, as you are sitting under a sermon, as you are in fellowship in this place, and it comes to mind, maybe because they're sitting on another aisle or another seat, that there's something between you and another brother or sister he says, you can't worship until you're reconciled. So you might as well leave your gift at the altar. And I, I'm, I'm glad he says that because I don't want you to take your tithe and leave. So leave your tithe and realize that you've ceased to worship until you are reconciled with that person. And so in Matthew 18, he gives an example. And he gives an example beginning with verse 21 would begin with 21 because the disciples are still kind of confused about how many times to forgive. And he says, no, let me tell you what's at stake here. 
And he tells a parable. He tells a parable of a king who had a servant who had an unfathomable amount of, of debt. A debt that he could never repay. But as he came and he asked for mercy when he was caught, the king showed him mercy. But then he went out and somebody, he crossed paths with someone that owed him a penny any debt, an easily payable debt, except not at that time, but it was, it was manageable. And when asked for, to show mercy to him, he threw him in prison. Word gets back to the king, and this is what the king says. You wicked servant, verse 32, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. And then you go down to verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. Now remember, he's speaking to Peter and the disciples. He's speaking to us disciples. Under this name of Christian. So also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And that's the seat of sincerity and integrity. It's real. It's authentic forgiveness. Not phony baloney. Oh, I forgive you. I forgive you. It's real. And probably costly. Forgiving a great debt. It's going to cost you. But it's serious business with Jesus. This type of unity, this type of, of fellowship, this type of, of, of uh, this family under the name of Christian is to be marked by unity and not by those divisions that are created by the obstacle of an unforgiving heart. The Father gives it to us and then we are giving it to brothers and sisters. You can't be in the family, and he says you're 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 going to be punished. You're going to be, there's some type of, of consequence of torture even if you try to stay in this family when the father is trying to dispense forgiveness to you, but you just hoard it and you never dispense it to others. And I, it may sound silly, but what do you think? What do you think God must think when we come to Him and we bend the knee and we say, Lord? I, have got, I am praying about this relationship. I, I really need you to give me direction. And I, I need it to be very clear. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what you're asking me to do. But I also know that there's some things that you need to do in this person's life. And all the while, I am harboring bitterness or an unforgiving heart toward another brother or sister who is his child and so God is saying okay so you're coming to me and you're asking me for something but you're asking me to even heal a relationship or give you a gift in a relationship when you're not because of your unforgiveness you're not in relationship with one of my children over here go first here forgive or seek forgiveness, then come. And we will talk about those petitions. Or not, 
you kind of imprison yourself. And you can call out to the king all you want. Hey, forgive my debts, forgive my debts. He says, yeah, but you're not a debt forgiver yourself. Second application, unity is not easy. I must seek and pursue peace. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All right, that's the goal. Go do it. Get it. Seek it. Pursue it. It's commanded. This is, this is Peter himself now saying, Hey, Christ's prayer was answered for me. He was praying for me to not be lost to that fellowship, to be preserved and, and to be in unison. And he was teaching me how to forgive other people. And so, look, this is what I'm commanding you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart toward one another, and a humble mind. I'm not no superior attitude when I come to a brother or sister. Go down to verse 11. Let him turn away from evil and do good. No gossip, no slander, no character association. No, oh, we got to pray for them. You know, they are so, and then just make it another form of gossip or character assault. Really seeking out even other people to say, I need to meet with someone and ask their forgiveness. Or I need to, to meet with someone and seek them to enter into a new relationship that we're going to be reconciled. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. My translation is if we don't seek peace, if we don't pursue peace in our relationships with one another, then God's face is not responsive to our prayers. His ears are not responsive to our prayers. His eyes are not seeing our petitions and our prayers. Because what He wants is the answer to Jesus' prayer, which, here, which we're to pray is to live together with humble minds and tender hearts and sympathy and forgiveness. And so... We are going to take a few minutes now to pray. And you can use the prayer card, the prayer journal that uh, we provide you. It's an uh, insert that you've got. But on the bottom of your outline, as I said earlier, we're going to do this uh, silently, by the way. Not that I, I don't usually welcome people to pray aloud in the congregation. But this is, we want to do business with God right now. And we want to start by asking God to forgive us. And then in light of that great mercy that he shows to us as servants, that's going to begin to give us courage and fuel to forgive that person that has really 
really hurt me. They've hurt. But in light of the fresh fuel, as it were, from my forgiveness, then I can now show mercy out of that storehouse to others. But you've got to start by asking God to forgive you first. And then lastly, think about who the them is in your life. So you could, you could write out three paragraphs, you can pray three paragraphs, but it's all with the goal of saying, Lord, I don't want an unforgiving heart. I don't want an unforgiving even seed to be an obstacle to all of my prayers. Help me this morning to remove an unforgiving spirit. Help me. Help me. Show me where I'm unforgiving. Help me. And He will do it because that's His prayer for us. Let's take a few minutes and then I'll call us back with a closing prayer in just a minute. Heavenly Father, this morning the greatest thing that we have in common in this worship this morning is the forgiveness of our sins by Your intercession. You put Your very life, Your blood, into answering this prayer that our sin would not divide us from You and the Father. That You would remove our sin by the forgiveness of our sin, that we could be in intimate fellowship and union with You forever. And now, Father, we want to participate in that. As You have shown us rich mercy and forgiveness, we as a congregation want to be quick. We want to run to be reconciled with one another. Father, I want to be a man that's the first and quick to repent. Father, I would pray for two rivers that we would often find our community groups, our small group meetings, our one-on-ones, our, our wherever we gather together, one and two, that so often it would turn into a little repent fest. Forgive me, brother, I have sinned against you. Or I forgive you. Let nothing divide us. For we are under a forgiving name, a forgiving Lord. Oh Lord, what You can do with us. How our prayers will indeed be freshly heard. How You do turn Your ear to the prayers of those that seek to love one another. In these relationships of forgiveness. So Lord, You have challenged some of us in this time with names or peoples, maybe groups, that we need to forgive. Show us, Holy Spirit, both the next step toward reconciliation for healing and then give us faith that is courage 
as well as opportunity to do so. Some of us, you have showed that we're the one that needs fresh forgiveness. We're the fender. Visit us again this morning to know that you are rich in mercy and all is forgiven. Now go and forgive others. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. These are the kind of prayers that you do hear. And these are the kind of prayers that you do answer. And so we ask that you would answer this prayer of forgiveness. In Christ's name, amen.